0: We will this morning turn with thee to our text, be found in the sixth psalm. We'll be looking at the psalm in its entirety, but I'd like to focus in on one verse this morning, and that is verse two. That's Psalm six, two. It reads this way: "Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed." Let us pray. O oh Lord, how great Thou art! What a great sovereign Lord Thou art! I'm in all of Thee every day of my life, O oh Lord, to see Thy goodness for Thy people, to see Thy long suffering toward us, to see Thy great love, the depths of it, as You allow us to see glimpses and take us, Lord, days deeper than other days and And thy faithfulness never gives us more than we can handle. Lord, truly, thou art faithful, Lord. Truly, Lord, thou art all love. I thank you, Lord, this day that you have brought us here. I pray that as we examine this psalm, that you would use this psalm to examine us. That you would be pleased to bring forth communion this morning with thy dear Son, that you would be pleased to search our hearts. Lord, may we find kinship with the psalmist. May the words of thy son be the words of us this morning. As it pleases you. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's truly a great mercy of the Lord to be shown your weakness. I mean that. Um, Being brought down to depend upon the Lord and to being able to sit at his feet and wait on him is truly a great mercy. And it's truly uh, the love of grace, if I can put it that way. Um, Our psalmist this morning, David, and let me just say... David, in all the psalms that he wrote under the power of the Holy Ghost and the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, there were seven of them that were called penitent psalms. We're very familiar with 51. We're familiar with 32, probably, and probably 130. But this is the first one of the seven that David was led to write. Um, But there's far... Deeper understanding in it than just what David experienced because see these are the words of Christ Um, these are the words of our Lord and Savior at the time that he would lay down his life the time in Gethsemane what was going through his mind and going through on his heart as he took that cup that cup of sin and he took it In the place of you and I, if we be his children, he took the measurement, the unmeasured anger and wrath of the father upon that sin for us. And that's what this psalm focuses on this morning. And as we read through the psalm this morning my first comments are going to be how christ is pictured here these are his words then as the holy spirit allows we're going to look at the psalm in the words of david in the words of his people because i do believe as christ went first in all things in that union and in the communion that we have with Christ in us, the hope of glory, we too, in a measure, enter into these sufferings. We too, in a measure, enter into what the mind of Christ was as he suffered. And that's what I hope and pray that is the intention of the Holy Spirit this morning to instruct us in these words. So first I'm just going to read it through and make a few comments about how, of course, it points to Christ. And the very first verse says, O oh Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. It's, we, we don't have to go far to know that there's only one person ever on earth that could say this, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ because e- even we as his children... I know that we feel sometimes that what we deserve is the wrath of God, but we're promised in the word that we'll never experience. It. And that the wrath of God is never, will never be poured out upon us because it was poured out upon our surety. It was poured out upon our substitute. And so when we read these words, O oh Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, Clearly, they are the words of Christ as he is just about, as I said, to take part in that sin. And I know we have said it many times that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made sin. He was made sin for us who who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. Think about that a minute. In Christ Jesus is our righteousness. Because He, what's pictured for us today, because He stood in our place, we will never have to stand there. We will not answer with an angry God at our sin because He answered for us. That is the tenor of, and the understanding of this psalm as as the Lord is crying out for mercy. And it gives us an idea of how awful and dreadful sin really is. We don't look at it that way. We make light of it. It's a trivial thing to us at times. We'll laugh it off and say, I know I shouldn't be that way, but I just am because we have an unhealthy way that we view sin. Certainly not the way our Lord and Savior viewed it. Certainly not the way that He's, he's viewing it now. As He's under this weight. As He's about to go to the cross. As He's about to stand in, in, in our place. The weight of this sin and the magnitude of it I want you to understand all of the guilt of that sin he became guilty for our sin. That guilt was laid upon him. He took my sorrow and he took my burden and he made it his own. That's what this psalm is about. And as Christ walked first that way you and I in His footsteps will be brought along that way by our shepherd. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. We don't think much about Christ being weak. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, for though He was crucified through weakness, and that was... The, the flesh, the, the being made in the, in, the, in the likeness of our flesh, but being made sin. He was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we are also weak in him. We don't think about that much. If you're a man in the room, you've been conditioned your whole life to be strong. You need to be strong. You are the strong one. You you should always have, you shouldn't show weakness. Crying is weakness. Being caring is weakness. That's the way the world looks at it. Certainly not the way Christ as the head of the church looks at it. We are also weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God toward us, toward you. That's what Paul wrote. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. We are bone of His bones. We were in Him as He went to the cross. He is speaking of being the head of the church. My bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But Thou, O oh Lord, how long? How long? My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? How long will I be cut off from our communion? Return, O oh Lord. Deliver my soul. Oh, save me for Thy mercy's sake. That separation due to sin. And it wasn't His own. It was his own by imputation. But it's yours and my sin. It's the sins of all of his elect children. And he took the punishment and the anger and the wrath for all of them. In death there is, for in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? And you say, well, I mean, certainly the Lord knew He would be raising up again. But He had to go through the portal of death. And He certainly did die. And you and I today can say with the psalmist here, there's no remembrance Mm -hmm. of the Lord. And I've talked about it recently in the finality of death. And for the child of God, as He's... Revealed to him his purpose here in this life. To glorify his Lord. To praise his Lord. His Lord who, who, who has performed all things for him. To not be able to do that is a great burden. It's a great sorrow. To be introverted where all you could see is yourself. Is an empty, godless place. In death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxes old because of all mine enemies. And I thought about those two verses. And I thought about the grief and I've thought about being moved to tears and sorrow that I've had in my life, and I stand before you this morning and I say, it is in no comparison to what has been written here. To be, to be weary with groaning and to, make my water, uh, to water my couch with tears, to have that kind of sorrow, as I said at the beginning, what we experience is a measure of of what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for us. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes consume because of grief. It waxes old because of all mine enemies. And we know at that time, it seemed to be that all the enemies, Satan, the world, man, sin, was going to have its victory. It seemed to be going that way, but never in the mind of God, never in the purpose of the, of the triune Lord. But when we look at things and we see the way they unfold, we draw our own conclusions. That's what a lack of faith does. Faith always leads us to Christ. Faith always leads us to what He's done. Faith leads us to where He's leading us every day. Faith trusts Him. Faith grabs a hold of Christ and doesn't let him go. Faith says to Christ, yes, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Faith says to Christ, where can I go? You have the words of eternal life. And that is the power of the faith of Christ that the Apostle Paul said, I live by. We start to see in the rest of the Psalm 8 through 10, we start to see the covenant love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We see the Son starting to be risen up and, and bore up into the Father because the Father has heard his cries. We see that there's an end to the trial and the end to the separation. And we start to rejoice. And Jesus said, and, and He they, they said, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And I tell you something, he's the only one who could ever say that. We know he, he says these very words in the Gospels. I never knew you. Depart from me. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I've done this in your name. I've done these the wonderful things. Look what I've done. And the Lord says to them, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. I never terrifying words but he's the only one who could say these words you and i would be a hypocrite we're workers of iniquity but christ wasn't depart from me all you workers of iniquity for the lord has heard the voice of my weeping the lord has heard my supplication the lord will receive my prayer that's the assurance That's the nearness. That's the the closing back in of the union and the communion. That's His presence being felt. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Now, as I said, our first reading and what we did was looking at it through the eyes of Christ because it is messianic. These are messianic the words of Christ. This is what Christ, and this is what he laid upon David's heart. Because David too went through these things. And as the Lord suffered in this, we'll suffer in a measure. And so now let's look at it. Let's look at it in the the eyes of what you and I suffer. What David suffered. What the scriptures say about these things. Because if we don't, and we're left to ourselves to, to examine when these things come into our lives and we don't see that the scriptures speak of them, then we are going to be attacked on every side and we are going to be attacked with unbelief and we're going to be attacked with not being a child of God and we're going to be attacked with all the wicked, fiery darts of the wicked. So we look at verse one, and as I said earlier, no believer has ever experienced the wrath of God. No bone of his, I should say, because he experienced it for us. But when we understand the wages of sin is death, and we understand what we've done, when the Lord opens the heavens and he he shows us who we've sinned against and he shows us what the penalty of that sin is, our minds start to wander just like David's did and we cry out to the Lord not to destroy us, not to rebuke us, not to to be this way toward us. We, we, We don't Think about what the Scriptures tell us. We immediately get scared. In Revelation 3, 19, the Lord says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, you and I know that the Bible speaks about chastening. In fact, we're going to go there now. If you go with me over here to Hebrews 10... Let's look at what chastening is. Let's look at what the Bible says it is. Let's look at what the uh, what the Word of God says about what David saying, Lord, don't do this in your hot displeasure. You know, chasten me not in in your anger. Is it anger? Does the Lord chasten us out of anger? Well, if we look at Hebrews twelve and we just begin in verse. 5 We'll start to read on down and I'll make some comments. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It's interesting that this section starts out with you have forgotten this exhortation. And we do. David, in the first verse of our our psalm this morning, has forgotten that the Lord chastens who he loves. And as that chastening hand and that rod comes down upon our back, and we're seeing the fruit of sin, and we're seeing and we're smarting because of it, as as we're under that rod, we start to think, am I being destroyed? Is the Lord doing this because I'm not His child? And then the wicked one comes in and says, Absolutely! He's destroying you. He's pouring out His wrath upon you. But that's what I want you to understand this morning. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus is the only one who ever had the wrath of God poured out upon Him. That's saved. That's the church. The church never will. But never will experience that because he did. So it's a lie. It's a lie of the wicked one. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Think about that. Think about that relationship. We clearly know the Bible speaks of us as being adopted into Christ. We are brothers of Christ through adoption. God deals with us as we're His sons if we endure chastening. And we do endure chastening in Christ Jesus by His strength because He went before us. For whom the Lord... I'm sorry... If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. You're illegitimate. If you go through your life, and I have heard this by many. I've spoken to some before about chastening and being under the heavy hand of the Lord. and oh, I've never been through that. I've not, I don't go through that. No, God's love. Well, that is love. He's showing me where I fall short. He's showing me my dependency upon Him. He's showing me His holiness. That's love. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Isn't that true? When our fathers have corrected us and showed us that we were wrong, did we not say yes, sir? Did we not show them the reverence that was given to them? Did we not fall in line? How easy that seems to be in this life. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? There's life under the chastening hand of the Lord. It doesn't, it seems like a, a paradox or something that doesn't make sense to us. Well, I don't want chastening. How will you grow? How will you ever be shown that the sin that you walk in is wrong in his sight? You know, I I started this week out um, being sick again. The third time in eight months. And this is coming from a guy who in the last five or six years hasn't been sick much at all. And when this sickness was brought into my life, it was a very low time again. I went through some of these things that I'm reading to you this morning because I asked the Lord... How long, Lord? I seem to be sick all the time now. All of a sudden, am I not going to recover? Is this what my life is going to be like? And then the Lord led me to these passages. And He showed me the reason sickness comes in my life is because of sin. And the reason that I need chastening is because of sin. There are times in my life that I've done things recently, um, whether it be shows of anger or unbelief or whatever, and I think to myself, I deserve chastening for that. And yet nothing happens. And I thank the Lord for mercy, and I thank Him for putting that sin away, and I go on about my way. And then the Lord brings chastening. And immediately my mind is like, why, Lord? And the Lord's not mocked. And He chastens whom He loves. And if you're sitting there today and you have not experienced the chastening hand of the Lord, I feel very sorry for you. I feel very hurting for you. Because the Bible tells us this morning whom He loves, He chastens. It's needful. We must must have it. We'll we'll go on here a minute and I'll show you why. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You will not see the holiness of God without chastisement. Chastisement is correction because of sin. The holiness of God shines upon that sin. This is why it's wrong. I'm a holy and just God in all that I do. Well look at verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Isn't that true? When the Lord brings us through the chastening and he reveals to us that it is chastening, that he loves us. And that is why we're being chastened, that we feel the righteousness and the righteousness of God to do it. And the righteousness for doing it and the needfulness of it and the love of the Lord for doing it. And that's why the writer can say, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Those hands that hang down and the knees that are feeble is what's going on in us as we're being chastened. But as the Lord brings us through it as the good shepherd, as He breaks that leg when we're wandering off, He binds it back up. And He brings us back upon the path of following Him. And it's needful. Because otherwise, we're going to be looking for that other pasture pasture of this world where there's nothing but certain death and eternal damnation in it. Yes, that's the goodness of the Lord. Let's go back to our psalm now. That's the goodness of our Lord to chasten us. But it's never ever in His hot displeasure. He's done that to His Son for you and I if we be in Him. Then to our text, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. Yes, as He's led to cry out for mercy from the One whose mercy endures forever, we're weakened so that we can be bore up in Him. As I just gave you the analogy of the sheep's leg being broken and weakened so that he can be bore up in Christ, strengthened, healed. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 12, where this is depicted for us. This of course is the where the apostle Paul writes about his chastening and what the Lord did to show him and bring him to see weakness. And let's just begin in verse seven, unless I should be exalted above measure. You think that's a bad thing. If you if you just took that out and you read that and you said Well you have to be brought down, because if not you're going to be exalted above measure. Which means there is a measure of exaltation that the Lord gives His people in this life. But our pride and our lust and our waywardness, all of those things in us, in the old nature, causes us to lust for, to be exalted more. To be given a title that's not, that is not good for us. To be To usurp the authority in our lives. And Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. Even something as good as that. That the Lord revealed so much to Paul. He said, you know, let me tell you how good my Lord is. Even as he he revealed a lot about himself to me. I felt my pride getting up. I felt like, wow, if the Lord is saying this to me, He's not saying it to another man. Therefore, I must be special. Therefore, I'm someone. That's what Paul's saying. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. What did we just say about chastening? To bring us to depend upon the Lord. Why is it the Lord weakens us? So that we are dependent Upon the Lord. Through the abundance of rope, there was given unto me, given to me a thorn in the flesh, which he describes as the messenger of Satan to buffet me. over and over and over. As the wicked one comes over with every accusation, another accusation, another accusation, And if we didn't have, if we didn't have on record for us in the Word of God how Jesus dealt with the devil and the temptations, we would almost believe that it would overcome us. But in Christ is the only place we can say, depart from me. Get behind me, Satan. You savor the things that be of men and not of God. Only in Christ and empowered by Christ can we say those things. That's what Paul's telling us. Over and over Satan, it just he kept buffeting me, kept attacking me over and over again. But Paul was revealed to him to Paul himself by Christ that this was designed for his good. Romans 8:28 lest I should be exalted above measure again. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Lord, keep this, this wicked thought from my mind. Keep the bombardment of Satan's words, keep them away from me. Oh Lord, put a hedge about me that I don't hear the voice of Satan in my ear anymore. And just by this text it tells us that it is right, To continue to ask the Lord for deliverance. That he's always there to hear our prayers. And in his perfect time. And in the perfect which is designed for our soul. The growth of our soul up into him. The conforming to the image of the son of God in us. In that perfect time. He says to us my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And as we are shown our weakness, the Lord Jesus Christ perfects and shows the depth of His grace and love toward us through His strength to bear us up on His wings, to put us around His neck and carry us to carry us through the hardships, to reveal that place and that way out, to show us that He never stumbles as we're stumbling. My grace is sufficient for Thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, well, most gladly then, Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to tell you something, that's truly Christ in Him to say that. We don't walk around and flippant religionists and say, oh, I want to be chastened. I want to be brought down. I want to be... Nobody signs up for that. But Christ in us says it's needful because we do know that that wicked part lives in us. That old nature must be beaten down. It must be beaten, mortified, and put down, and put down, and put down. And as He reveals Himself and He increases in our soul, we decrease in our soul. The old nature goes down. Christ in us, the hope of glory, goes up. That's how... We win the warfare. That's the only way. How? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I already talked about that male pride. I mean, females have it too. But you know how we we don't want to be viewed as weak. And yet the Word of God tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness. It's not made perfect in our strength. It's made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then Paul says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I'm weak in self, I'm strong in Christ. Because the only way to be weak in self is when the Lord mortifies, when the Lord puts down. And praise be to God, He's faithful to do it. Let's go back to our psalm. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. You see, the it, it permeates all of us. When the soul is heavy, the body is heavy. It's not necessarily the same all the time. When the body's heavy, sometimes the soul isn't heavy. I've experienced that. Experiencing that now. Is the body's still fighting sickness. But strength is in the Lord, in the soul. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O oh Lord, how long? That's why I said there's times we're brought to that moment. Lord, how long? How long? I told you I was sick three times in eight months. It could come up and be six times in ten months. I don't know the Lord's plan. But I know He's designed one for me. And I know it's for good. Because these scriptures are true. Oh Lord, how long? You ever been brought to ask the Lord how long? How long, Lord? Then we see in verse four, we see the the problem in one word. Return. Well, the only reason you'd say return is because you've lost something. You've lost communion with the Lord. That's what makes everything infinitely worse. Whether you're sick, whether you're going through something in your mind, without the Lord's presence, it is hundreds times worse. If you're communing with the flesh and you're communing with the wicked one, you're communing with this world and the world's telling you how to act and everybody else is telling you and that's all you have that's where depression comes that's where our inability is shown return return Lord I need you I thought about that this morning and there's only one place well there's more places than that but no my favorite place to go, of course, is Song of Solomon. If you turn over there with me in chapter 5, we see this laid out for us. And in fact, my Bible has a heading. It's called the Torment of Separation. It is torment for the children of God to be separated from the Lord. Remember, that it was torment for Christ to be separated from the Father. As he became sin. It was, it was horrible. I mean, it was a horrible vexation upon his soul as he was separated from the Father. We will experience that also in a measure. As we see here in Song of Solomon, if we look, just start at the beginning, where all things are good. I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends. Drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. All is good. It's prosperous. There's communion in union. But then I sleep. But my heart waketh. It's the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. It's the Lord coming. The Lord saying, come away from what you're doing. Come away from whatever it is that you're walking in. Come follow me. Come commune with me. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I am better and I'm altogether lovely. I'm greater than anything that you have in this life. And then our answer. What excuse do we have today? It's too cold. I've got other things to do. I've got a job I need to worry about. I've got something much more important to me to do today. I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? I mean, that's logic. I'm already in bed. I don't want to be bothered. I've already cleaned up. I'm already tucked in. And then, in that indifference, the only way out is verse 4. My beloved, he put in his hand by the hole of the door. He put it, he moved my heart. And my bowels were moved for him. My love for him now is growing. My love for him is, is present. I desire this relationship. I desire this communion. I'm ready, Lord. You've put your your hand, you've touched me, you've shown me the wickedness of my way, and my desire is to commune with you now my desire is to commune with you now you ever done that you you get up in the morning you feel like it's a beautiful new day you sit in front of the word and you say i'm not going to have any distractions today i can't wait to commune with the lord i can't wait you pray for that communion and you open up the word and you've read and all these thoughts come in then the burden of the day You get a text from someone, the phone rings, the the thoughts of work come up, and all of a sudden, you have no communion. Sometimes, shamefully I say, I just close the Bible and I go off into the world. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I was ready. I feel like I'm ready. I feel like it's my time. This is the time, Lord, you've ordained. Let's have this time. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved was withdrawn was himself. Had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. They said, what have you done? Why are you without the Lord? Why are you depressed? Why? Why?" Do, and the only people say that to you all the time. Well, why are you cast down? God's grace is sufficient. God loves you. What, are you. what are you going through this for? The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I'm sick of love. I desire so much that communion. Because it doesn't matter what the world says to you or it doesn't matter what you're pointed at. You can't conjure up that communion. You can't say, Lord, the Spirit will be present now. We don't have command of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what churches will tell you. What is I beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is I beloved more than another beloved? thou so charge us. And the rest of this, the church explains how Christ is greater than anything. Why are you shown that? You have to see what you've lost to see where you're found. Where you're found in Christ. What Christ is to his people. Back in our psalm, we read, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. Not because I'm a king. David didn't say that. Didn't say that, hey, I'm a war. I've, I've won all these wars. I'm a, I'm, I'm a shepherd. I've done all these things. You've asked me. No. Save me, Lord, for thy mercy's sake. For thy mercy's sake appeals to the Lord of mercy you and I would do well to do the same as we are led. for in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks this means a lot more to me experientially because when I'm dead in my soul there's no thanks to my Lord there's no praise to my Lord but when I'm alive in my soul Due to Him and His presence. There is praise for the Lord, the author and finisher of my faith. I am weary with my groaning all the night. Make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. My eye is consumed because of grief. It waxes old because of all mine enemies. And I said that we will never experience this the way the Lord Jesus Christ did in grief. He has turned our sorrow to joy he was a man of sorrows as he stood in our place but for sorrow he has given us joy and he has given us peace and he has given us an assurance to flippantly say it'll all be okay you know we hear that a lot a lot of people will say that it'll all be okay but as a child of God we've been exercised in that haven't we it'll all be okay because he's the one who holds tomorrow he's the one who holds today he's the one who holds the king's heart in his hand he's the one who holds my heart he's the one who's the life and the king of glory he's the one who who we owe all everything to Oh, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And of course, I said only Christ could say this, but I will say, when we are in communion with the Lord, when the union is strong, when the Lord is revealing himself, we don't want anything or anyone to break that. We do not want the sins that we know that we could want them as far from that time as they could ever be and anyone else that which we deem that causes us to, be, to sin. Whether it's the wicked one, whether it's our flesh, whether it's the world, whether it's people you know, I think by now we've all lived in this world long enough that there are people we know that vex our souls. That when we're with them and we're spending time with them, it vexes our very soul. We don't We don't want that. We don't want that when we're in the Spirit. When Christ is reigning in us. No, we don't want, Depart from me all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. That's what the Lord says to his people. And his faith believes it. Believes that everything comes from the hand of our Lord. Everything that he knows is good for us, he holds nothing back. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Certainly as the Lord had enemies, we too have enemies. And And I honestly can say, I pray that the enemies of my Lord are certainly brought to shame. I pray that every day in America. I pray it when I go to the workplace, that the enemies of my Lord are brought to shame as the Lord reveals who He is in His power and in His sovereignty. May the Lord bring you comfort through this psalm today and through the week as it pleases Him. May he first reveal himself in the psalm that they are his words. And then my prayer for each and every one of you is that they become your words by your union in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, add thy power, add thy clarity for thy name's sake. To thee, Lord, be all glory and honor and praise. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.